We're holding Masechus Brachas, Perak Gimel Mishnehei. There are a number of different topics discussed in this Mishnah, so we'll take them one page at a time. The first part of the Mishnah continues on with what we've been discussing in the previous Mishnahis, the rules that govern a Baal Keri, someone who had a seminal mission. And here, as we learned in the previous Mishnah, one is exempt, according to the Mishnah, from saying Tavar Mishnah words of sanctity and specifically rabbinically required ones. Uh, one is exempt altogether if he's a Balkari, according to the Mishnah. And therefore the Mishnah picks up asking, what happens if a person forgot he was a Balkari and he began Shmona Esrei? Which, if he hadn't begun it, he would be exempt from saying, again, according to the Mishnah, not Lala. The Mishnah says, Hayyomer B'tfila, if a person were standing in the middle of Shmona Esrei, Venizkar Shu Balkari, and then he remembers that he is a Balkari, Lo Yafsik, he shouldn't stop in the middle of the Shmona Esrei, Rather, he should just abbreviate his recitation of Shmona Esrei. That means to say, he would just say the beginning phrase and the end phrase of each and every bracha. So, for example, he would say, and then finish, etc., for each of the 18 brachas. The next part of the mission is something totally unrelated. We now talk about the rules of one's of sanctity, out of the Valkyrie, but there's certain um, the Pasuk requires that a person's machne should be kadosh, that a person's place of encampment should be sanctified. The Psukim and Tavar and Chavgimel speak about two different kinds of sanctity. First, the Psukim specified that one has to have a special designated place outside of the machne where he will relieve himself when he has to defecate. And and the Pasuk ends by saying, Your encampment should be sanctified, meaning there should be no human excrement there. It should be covered up and elsewhere. But the Pasuk continues on, And you also shouldn't see amongst yourselves a ervas davar, an unseemly thing, which is specifically referring to human nakedness, parts of one's body that should be normally covered. So therefore the Pasuk really requires one's machinet to be kadosh, one's encampment, one place, one's place to be sanctified in two regards. First of all, that there should be no excrement there, and also that there should be no uh, naked naked body parts uh, in one's one's view. Midrabanan, uh, they extended both of those issues. They ex- extended the prohibition against having excrement in one's presence to also include um, urine, that urine also can't be there with the And similarly, they said that when one um, says Davrash Abegadusha, he has to have uh, that not only is he not in the presence of a naked person, but also that his lave, part of his body, its upper part of his body where his heart is, should not be Roeshalo. It shouldn't have a direct line of sight to his genitals. There should be a break between the two. Meaning, for example, if you're wearing a nightgown, and even though he's covered, and his genitals are covered, but since there's a direct line of sight between where his heart is, his chest, his upper body, and his lower body, where his private parts are, that would be insufficient. He'd have to sort of gird himself with a belt or a similar, have an elastic band, etc. Miserable. With that principle in mind, the mission now talks about the issue of one who has gone to the mikvah to alleviate himself from the status of being a Balkari. So he once again could say Tivarim of Torah, and he sees that the time of Kriyashma is about to approach, meaning that the sun is about to rise. The Mishnah says, Yaradlitbo, if he goes to descend to the Tovel, 
I'm sorry about the background noise. I'm in an airport. If Yard Litvo, if he goes to immerse himself in a mikvah, and then he sees the time is short. If he's able to get up out of the mikvah and cover himself up properly, likros, and to recite the Kriyashma, all in time prior to the rising of the sun, then that's exactly what he should do. He should get out of the mikvah, cover himself properly, and then recite the Shema all before sunrise. If there isn't enough time, meaning if he would take the time to get out the mikvah, cover himself up properly, then he would miss sunrise. Then he can cover himself up with the water itself and recite the Kriyashma while in the water. That is to say, first of all, that the Mishnah assumes that it's better to say Kriyashma in such a situation, in such a way, uh, before Neitzachama, before the sunrise, rather than saying it in a, after sunrise, even in a more you know formal and uh, decorous setting. And that's... A, that's the way the Bartender explains it, he wants to do it according to the way that the Sikhan did, those who really chase after and love mitzvahs. Now, the Gemara speaks out there's a problem, that even though the water can be considered to be, could be considered to be a covering of his nakedness, and therefore his machanecha could be kadosh, his place which he occupies could be sanctified in as much as his privates are covered by the water itself, since the water is transparent, he would still have the problem of his libo roes erva, his heart, being able to have a direct line of sight, so to speak, to his private parts. And therefore, if the, wa- if the water were transparent, you'd have to sort of kick up mud from the bottom to make the water turbid and make it so that one, there'd be no direct line of sight between one's heart and one's private parts. The next part of the mission really teaching about another din, the din of that it's improper to say Dvarm Shibikadusha in the presence of uh, rotting organic matter. And therefore it says, One should not cover himself neither with uh, water that just has a foul odor, that already is improper, and nor with soaking water. Me Mishra is referring to water that was used um, to ret, R-E-T-T, to ret flax. That is to say, when one makes takes the flax plant and wants to produce linen fibers from it, the, the way that in the time of the mission they did it is they would soak that flax uh, for a time in the water till the flax began to rot and the pectin proteins would loosen and they'd be able to take the, the fibers to make the linen out of out of the uh, the flax plant. That process requires a bit of rotting, R-O-T-T, rotting, uh, going bad, um, of the plants and that retting, R-E-T-T-I-N-G, the soaking of the plants, um, therefore is very malodorous. It stinks terribly. And therefore the mission here is saying if you're in the presence of rotting organic matter, which smells terribly, in this case, uh, decaying flax, uh, that is improper to say, in the presence of that smell. Uh, for many years, this Mishnah bothered me as much as Maim Haraim, stinky water, and may Mishra, soaking water, are really two sides of the same coin. They're really just water that has a sort of rancid smell to it, and therefore I always wonder what the difference is. Uh, my teacher, Rabbi Daniel Spetner, told me a great Chiddush, which I think is true, which is that may Mishra, soaking water, although it objectively smells terrible, if a person is in the part of the world where they do soak and produce linen, soak flax to produce linen, so they're used to that smell, and therefore they might say, oh, it doesn't bother me because I'm used to it. Even so, since there's an objectively bad smell, it doesn't matter that you're used to it. Um, one shouldn't say, speak out words of Torah, uh, or the like, in the presence of something that objectively smells. The next line of the Mishnah, um, 
is actually, according to the Gemara, a new point altogether. The words read, Ad Mayim, until you pour into it water. The Gemara asks, it can't be referring to pouring some water into the rotting, rancid, smelling Mishra water or Mayim Ra'im water, the soaking water, or just the rotten, smelly water, because adding a bit of water to that would not help anything. Um, and therefore, what we're talking about over here, says the Gemara, is a new point. Um, that one should not recite if he's, his Kriyashma or any Davarsha Kedusha if he's standing in close proximity to a puddle of urine, human urine. And therefore, uh, the din here is saying is the urine remains rabbinically a source of non-Kedusha, and one who's in his presence doesn't have a Kadosh Machna, a sanctified place, um, until he pours a, a revius of water inside, inside, inside that puddle. And actually, then is for each time that someone else has urinated in that puddle. That's for argument's sake, say three people urinated in that corner. So there's now a large puddle of urine. We won't have to pour three reviuses, uh, the amount of water in a kiddush cup is a revius. So three reviuses of water to annul the status of that urine, midirabana. The mission then asks, well, how far does one have to distance himself from a puddle of urine or from human excrement? Right. The Mishnah answers, Arba Amos, four Amos, about seven feet. There is a Machlokas in the Gemara for talking about uh, Arba Amos, four Amos from the excrement itself, or for talking about from where the smell of the excrement ends. It's Machlokas Rafuna or Bechista, the Raman Pasan like Rafuna, that it's four Amos from the excrement itself. However, the Shulchan Aruch Paskins, like Rafchista, Mr. Din Lahalacha, it has to be four Amos from where the smell of the excrement ends. It could be quite far away from the excrement altogether. And the bartender speaks out, of course, that if the excrement is still in one's line of sight, meaning it's directly in front of him, it wouldn't matter how far away it is from him. It's not a matter of the smell. It's actually the holding in one's eyes, the human excrement that makes it improper. And therefore, he'd have to be both at least four almost away from the, where the smell ends and also not indirect, directly looking at the fecal matter or the urine, if he's going to say creation or the davr shabbat